You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frick, and I'm here with my friends from across the country, uh, over in Baltimore, Maryland. We got Carlito. Yo. Down in... Hola, amigos. (laughs) Down in... uh, (laughs) Sumter, South Carolina. We got Dumar Pete. Bonjours. Qu'est-ce que c'est? And um, currently alone, but he may be joined soon. We got down in the the studios of the Morning After Ministry show, Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations, one and all. Do I need to explain Carlitos for the podcast audience? No, leave it. Yeah, because it sounds okay. it sounds like a very insensitive Halloween costume, Jeff. It really does, doesn't it? <laughs> Hey, my mother's uh, from South America. My middle name is Carlos. All the men on my dad's side of the family have Charles, so they went Spanish, but still kept the male patriarchy name. You know, because that's Car- how we do it. Carlitos. Carlitos I forg- is a is a term of of affection. Yeah, I forget it's that Carlos. people when people see you, since you project more Caucasian, that people don't know that you're Hispanic. That like, yep. you're, you I project like- Caucasian until I start cooking, baby. <laughs> hey, I I vowed it at Stevie. He can cook some uh, some good Latino food. That's right. Um, There's a few hey, basics you got to know. Up, and then, now, and are, are there the aren't carnitos a food? No, nope. carnitas are a food. <laughs> Car- what's are a food. what's a carnita? Because that's what I thought you said. It's no, it's a it's it's pork. Good. Oh yeah, my wife loves those things. Yeah, yeah. I I love me some good carnitas. <laughs> Um, well, hey guys, uh, how, how was your weekend? Um, how was, how was, uh, celebrating Reformation Day, not that pagan holiday that, uh, you guys, what you guys today. trunk or treat, whatever that paganness you guys do? Man, my kid's whatever. been like 10 trunk or treats, man. <laughs> yeah. What'd you guys do this weekend? Well, I didn't do a lot of anything. Oh, well, I did coach my, my daughter's soccer game on Saturday. Got absolutely smashed. Um, and, uh, didn't do my Latin heritage any good, I guess. But, um, then Sunday we had church. It was my first time back at church in two Sundays because two Sundays ago I was in Vermont. And then last week I was too sick to be there. So I wasn't there. Uh, and I was kind of on the border of still being too sick yesterday. Um, I've never been sick for this long of a time. I've been more intensely sick, but only for a day or two. Was it, but, was it, it uh, COVID? It, it, no, it, oh, shh, shh, shh. no, it wasn't. It was actually just the regular. There was this thing in 2019 and before that we used to get called the flu, seasonal flu. Never, never heard of it. I got that, and uh, it just has hung with me for about three weeks, and then I got a nice, a nice strong case of the old bronchitis to go with it. So I've been uh, coughing like a, um, like a sea lion for about a week, and uh, man, you know, you know that cough you get. And uh, it's been rough. So I preached. Uh, we had a potluck yesterday. So when we do that, because we have other churches coming into our building at 1 o'clock, we do a little bit abbreviated of a service, which was kind of nice for my first Sunday back and still not quite able to preach with the intensity I normally would because the old lungs are still kind of inflamed. So I did like a 20-minute sermon, and we did a few less songs, and the, the service was a little shorter. Um, but frankly, nobody was upset because you could just smell the food uh, in the service. And uh, my church is, does amazing at potluck. So yeah. 
Uh, so that part was great, and then they did a little pass appreciation thing at the end, which was really nice. And uh, I have to say, the last two weeks, I have really grown in like my gratefulness for the people that have come to the church lately and the people that have been here a long time because, I mean, man, they just handled me not being there last week like like champs. Yeah. I mean, everything just went fine. We had a guy jump in and preach, did a great job. I mean, it was, you know, uh, it's such a blessing. So uh, I'll take that as part of pastor appreciation as well to know that, like, the whole thing. It's, it's also a little bit of a humbling lesson, too, you know. It's like, really, the whole thing doesn't depend on you. Like, you yeah. you could be gone for a week in an emergency situation, and they're, they're kind of fine. So I'm proud of that, happy about that. But uh, Sunday was good. We had a few guests. Um, I sat with one of the guests for our potluck and had a long, you know, nice conversation with him and stuff. And then Sunday afternoon, yesterday, I was pretty much down for the rest of the day, kind of just chilling at home, taking a nap. And, uh, today I woke up feeling a little bit better and, uh, right now it's still feeling pretty good. So we'll see what the afternoon holds, but looking like I'm on the mend finally. Real quick. Um, uh, with all you guys, I want to ask you this question. Jeff said he preached a 20 minute sermon. How short of a sermon do you feel like is the shortest sermon? Before you, you can... feel like, ooh, that's too short? Yeah, yeah. How short? About 20. 20? Mm-hmm. Maybe 15. I mean, maybe, but 20 is about Depends it. Depends on I the mean, context. Fi- yeah. Andrew's about to say something stupid, like nine minutes. No, I'm just saying, <laughs> I, no, I'm just saying it, it depends on the context. You know, if, it's, if it is a regular Sunday, hey, sure, 20 minutes is... You know, we've got something special going on, so we're going to do 20 minutes. You know, we're, we are not canceling church on Christmas Sunday. So that sermon might be, oh, yeah. you know, Bring 50, that up 15 again. Di- Hey, I'm just saying one of us loves Jesus. But uh, it might be a 15 to 18 minute long sermon. Yeah. It will it will not hit 20. So I think, you know, context is key. But that's, again, we've got everyone will be eating while I'm preaching. So that won't be a – that will not be a – uh, you know, we we usually eat afterwards, so yeah. I think con- context matters. The situation matters. I think if it's a special event, things are different. But for it to not I, be like, hey, this was a weird service, I think it needs to be at least twenty or so minutes. And there's got to be other stuff or reasons why. Right. Well, I definitely am in that camp of like, if you're under twenty, are you are you if you're sick, if it's extenuating circumstances. But generally, I, I think 30 is like a pocket. 30 to 40 tends to be, in my context, the listener's attention span. I know the I, I did preach at a Lutheran church one time, and they were very, very clear to me. We don't preach more than 15 minutes here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I said, oh, okay, you know what we call that in the Baptist church? He said, what? I said, we call that an intro. <laughs> but uh, But, yeah, so that was much different. Because the denomination has different traditions built into it with, you know, the homily. Yeah, I have a, a Methodist friend who I help him make his sermon videos. And when we first started, he'd come over here and preach a sermon, and it would be like like nine minutes, eight, nine minutes. And I remember being like, what does this guy do all week, man? Like a nine-minute sermon, that's it? But uh, he just their tradition is just very different. There's a lot more elements in the service uh, that they go through, and so that's just... And I think, Frank, you're asking kind of in the one-off, oh, my gosh, I'm sick, and I'm going to – like, you're not saying a normal – I think in all of our contexts, that's probably we're, – we're probably all in the same ballpark, I would guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, let me tell you, post, post-vasectomy, 
I was uh, I was on codeine. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. No, hang on. I was on Percocet with a set of frozen peas waiting for me in my office, and that was. Uh, Dude, that that's was, guest preacher Sunday. What are you doing? It, it was. I was the associate. Remember, he loves so Jesus, I, I, guys. I I was the guest preacher, and oh, it man. was uh, <laughs> the procedure was Friday afternoon, the the thirtieth, and uh, it was supposed to be in, out, and done. And that was not the case, and so. The I was preaching, and I think I went about sixteen or seventeen minutes. That Sunday I am drug. thinking wow, that about was, so that many short, things I should say right get now. Get progressively higher. Uh, as I think people could just. On. I I think people could just see me sweating. They're like something's going on with him. Did your stance uh, keep getting wider? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, what, they, okay, you, now I, this is a serious I, question. Oh god! Did you use a stool that day or not? <laughs> No, this is at my previous church. I was, I was not, I but I was holding on to that pulpit for dear life, and uh, I I remember I was wearing multiple pairs of boxer oh, briefs man. for the uh, oh my for, for for the extra the extra hug that I needed. But that was oh, the man. shortest uh, sermon I have preached to an adult congregation by far. That's wild. You might would say you had to cut it short. Okay. Hey-o. Okay. Uh, well, hey. Moving no, on. How, how was your weekend? My, how was my weekend? My weekend was good. I think, Jeff, I'm kindred spirit with you in health, bro. I have just been sick. I don't know what it is. I got this cough. It's not a dry cough at all, and it just will not go away. I had a double ear infection a couple of days, which I haven't had since I was like a kid. But uh, this past Sunday I preached. We're going through Romans, so very, very excited. We're in Romans 8 right now. And uh, we started giving out catechism cards to our kids. So whichever catechism aligns with the text we're in that week, we generally um, give those out as cards to the kids, which is really cool. And beyond that, our church, we started our own podcast for families, which, you know, I learned a lot doing this doing this with you guys. And it's just like too much to not share. So we have started a podcast called Living in Harmony, and the whole point is how do you take the content of what we talked about on Sunday and how do you push that down into your family life? How do you talk about it with your kids? So we recorded that. We're about to send off episode two on that. And ultimately, man, we just been we just been rolling out at church trying to get a lot of our, our new initiatives a new initiatives running. So And your church is called Harmony, right? What's that? Your church is called Harmony. It's called Harmony. That's a good podcast title. Living in yeah, Harmony. Living in Harmony. Andrew, so, how was your weekend? It was good. After the service yesterday, our uh, church threw me a surprise birthday party. So that was exciting. Saw that there video. Were a, a, a bunch of people there. So that was, that was fun. And then after that, uh, my wife, kids and I, and my wife's brother who – you know, when when he shows up at church on a Sunday morning, I'm like, all right, what's going on? Uh, so he, we were going to Epcot, so we went over to Disney yesterday because my wife was in middle school in 1997, and during the Food and Wine Festival at Epcot, different bands come in and play, and so we went to Epcot specifically for the purpose of seeing Hanson live and in concert last night. Like and the Umbop so Hanson? Yeah, we we umbopped because I love my wife, so we closed out the uh, my 40th That's birthday awesome. weekend with. With Hanson, and then how do they I, sound now? Because they the umbop used so to be good. really high. Is it more like umbop now, it's, or like it's it's not quite that low, but it's it's lower. But seriously, like, 
there's something about the fact that they're brothers, so the band can't really break up because you know they they don't have the success that they can just like go off and do their own solo projects. So they're going to keep playing together, and so they've been playing together every day for the past thirty years, and they sound like it. I mean, they're it's funny because you know it's Hanson, but they're good. They they're tight. They're they're tight. Their their wives and their parents and their kids all show up when they're at Disney. They play Disney Halloween weekend just about every year. And uh, it's just really fun because they don't take themselves seriously. Because, like, hey, we know that you're here because 25 years ago you were in middle school. And so they kind of lean into that and they have a whole lot of fun. But so then last night we got back to the church um, because we had take you know, we drove two cars to church and then one car to Disney. So my wife dropped me off here at the church for me to get my car. And I came back into the office and completed some homework that was due at midnight. So nothing like a surprise birthday party, a trip to Disney, a Hanson concert, only then to come back and write a paper. So it was a very, very full day yesterday, but it was a good day. Um, I, I wish I was at Disney. That, that sounds fun. Um, uh, guys, uh, we had a parent-child dedication um, at our church. And when you guys have child dedications, is your services like a little more full? than normal yeah it's usually family members and stuff there yeah for sure we had six babies we were dedicating and so multiply that with like both sets of parents and friends and stuff like that it was a pretty full service but it was pretty cool it was a good time we had a we had a we had a good service at our first service and then uh, our second service um uh was a normal service so it was a good weekend i didn't do any like extra festivities this weekend i i no team to coach. The only, only, only thing that was um, out of the norm is uh, I got to eat sushi. And that's just unnormal, not normal because I don't really eat sushi very often. So, What's your uh, favorite type? Not a real sushi. It was, <laughs> I like, had like California a, roll kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a tempura California roll. Nice. But, uh, but it was at a really, really fancy sushi place. Um, we were celebrating someone's birthday. So, But, yeah. Um, you, know? well, you got to go for the real deal when you're at a fancy place, man. Sit right at the bar and they hand it right to you. Oh, that sounds. You got to try it. You got to do it just once. Hey, I'm trying to. Uh, uh, my sabbatical uh, is coming up in, in in May, April and May, and I I have a uh, speaking opportunity in the middle of that at um, in West Virginia, and I don't know how far West Virginia is from Baltimore. Dog, my, let's hang out. It's not let's that hang far. Out and then let's get sushi. <laughs> just don't bail on me this time. All that segue to say, let's get sushi. Okay, I'm I'm doing my best here. No, I hey. drive to West Virginia. It takes me like I mean, I'm you know this one part of West Virginia that I drive to is like an hour. Oh, I'm in Morgantown, so, so that's probably a little bit further away. Uh, I wouldn't be. I don't think it'd be that far. It, it's I'll I'll drive a few hours for you. Well, we'll talk. Well, I'll find this and figure okay. this out. <laughs> well, let's do this right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, so, Hey, I'm going to, uh, uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear from, um, our sponsors, but when we come back, I want to talk about, uh, a couple things, uh, that I found in the Facebook group. So we'll be right back. So we're back and, uh, there are, there are three Facebook posts. We might get, we, I don't know if we're gonna get through all three, but there's at least two of them I want to talk about that were posted on our practically pastor group. And then one of them I found in a different group. That is a pretty pretty gnarly story. I want to get your ideas on, but I think these are three really practical questions that we're giving our Facebook group that I would love for us to answer, and just shoot from the hip and see what we got. All right, the first one is this: 
Have any of you ever required an individual on your staff attend counseling due to the negative effects of unsolved past leaking into the culture? So have you, have you ever, have you or have anyone in your staff been required to go to counseling at your church because of stuff from their past? I'll go first. Yes. At our church, we're actually, we've done a, uh, we actually just went through um, two kind of corporate, all staff counseling sessions with a therapist because of our, our recent senior pastor transition. So that's actually been, um, it was like a Zoom call, but like we were all together um, and we got to Zoom in the counselor and the counselor basically like um, did like a 20 minute like session on a topic and then we got to ask him questions and um, it was really good. It was, it was, it was helpful. Great. Other than that, like um, we've talked about this before, we, we partnered with an organization called Anchored Hope and um, they have, um, you know, if you're on staff, you get a deep discount uh, to get counseling um, with a counselor through them. And, uh, I, we passed that thing around like it's uh free coffee. Like you, you need counseling, go, go see a counselor because, uh, we want to, we want to help those traumas. But what about you guys? Have you ever been in a church that does that? Is this like uh, a foreign concept to you? What, what do you think? I've been in one uh, previous church where there was, um, a, a guy I worked with and his marriage was in trouble. And I don't want to say no fault of his own because that's not, you know, we're, we're always at fault a little bit, right? And you know, there's there's no, no one is ever perfect, but it the the issues were more hers than his, and the church kind of came alongside him and was like, you know, hey, what what can we do? And so not only was did he go into some counseling, they went into some counseling together um, as a couple, but also were able to take some time off, and the church supported them through that while they could go work on that. And that was a really, really cool thing that the church did for them. I was also on staff at another church where there was a guy who desperately needed counseling and refused to go and was fired because he would not go to counseling. Um, Severe, severe anger issues with like yelling and screaming at small children. And then we just flipped the switch. Like there was nothing wrong. And Oh, what, what, what do you mean? That was not how that should have been handled. And, was confronted multiple times and did not see any problem with it and said that, you know, counseling was not something that interested him at all and he would not be going. And so, I mean, legitimately lost his job instead of going to counseling that would have been provided by the church. So I I probably should have lost his job, not because he didn't go to counseling, but because of the screaming and yelling at little children part. I mean, that's indicative (laughs) of some deeper stuff if you don't want to go to counseling. Yeah. My church, uh, Harmony, I love their support of Christian counseling because uh, they have in the past sent their staff to counseling when they're going through rough spots or dry spells or family tensions. And they've even um, paid for it, if I'm not mistaken, or at least helped. And I think that is a great investment. You want to know that's pastor appreciation, isn't it? When your church is like, listen, we get your people and we are going to make sure that you get cared for because sometimes pastors don't have a pastor and that shouldn't be so right. Especially if you're on a multi-staff church where you are not the lead pastor, you should have a pastor. 
And if you don't have a pastor on that staff, then that that's a sign of an unhealthy church. If the pastors over you don't want to pastor you, but in a smaller church environment, sometimes that may be harder to find. You have to look in the community or whatnot. But I do think uh, that that counseling, there's just something about the the silence of that room where you can leave it. You know what I'm saying? That I think churches understand because when our congregants come to us more often than not, that's what we provide to them. Right. Unless they're like going to harm themselves or, you know, those things that we have to report, which same standards apply to us. We need to have the sanctity of a silent place as well, where we can be told, Hey, you're wrong or Hey, you need to repent. So our church is, is super pro counseling. Yeah. They, uh, the church I worked at in Orlando before coming up here, um, the first Sunday I went was a Sunday where three couples, including the past senior pastor and his wife, uh, were up on the stage talking about either an issue of adultery or, uh, some significant issue in their life that they had, uh, walked through the process of counseling and, um, and, uh, reconciliation. Uh, and this had been years in the past. So they were, uh, actively sort of destigmatizing, um, going to counseling and talking about it from up front. I found it incredible. Uh, so that was my first Sunday visiting there. The second Sunday, the same three couples got up and ta- ta- walked through the story of redemption uh, and how counseling was a, a really big part of that. And then over the co- couple of years that I worked at the church, um, I myself had an issue where I went to counseling for six months when it was revealed. Um, you know, I could have been fired on the spot and the pastor instead was like, all right, here's what we're going to do. You're going to call up and we, you know, the, the counselor's name, uh, his name happened to be Neil. We're going to call Neil up. We're going to pay for you to go for six months. Uh, and you know, really want you to get some help, really think you have a lot of gifting. Um, but I care about your soul and, you know, demonstrated that he really did because they paid for that. Uh, they had me pay a small portion basically to have some skin in the game, which I think is, I would totally advise anyone. My father-in-law would say the same thing if he were here, who was a professional counselor for a long time. You at least want that person to have a little bit of skin in the game uh, so that they take it serious. Um, but so that church really sort of helped me to see that it doesn't have to be a stigma uh, and that it really can be uh, something that is, you know, is, is biblical and really helpful and good for somebody's soul and helps them to serve better. And throughout the course of working there for a couple of years, I saw my pastor um, openly say, man, I, I'm, I'm really feeling um, specifically to this question, some issues from his past experience of being on staff at that church with kind of a toxic leader uh, coming into his own leadership with us. And he would, you know, w- one or more staff members might say something to him that would make him go, man, I, you know what? I really need to go see the counselor. Uh, for a few sessions and really kind of deal with this again. It's kind of coming back up, and I don't want to allow it to sort of sow the seeds of bitterness and take root. So I've really seen that really be helpful. Um, I've been in other situations where I've suggested that this might be a good idea, and it wasn't listened to, and, you know, I kind of saw the chaos that ensued because of that. So I would definitely be an advocate of it. Um, I definitely think the idea of... um, requiring or, or, you know, asking a staff member or even a key volunteer uh, to say, hey, you know, we want you to take a break from serving in this role, from using your gifts to go deal with this issue that more has to do with character and your soul 
in order that your gifts aren't affected. So um, I think that's, you know, I think that's a really good question. And I would say uh, for sure uh, stuff from the past leaking into the, into the current uh, is definitely a thing that can, can happen over time. So for sure. Well, can I, I speak to that a idea. little bit? I, have y'all ever seen the avoidance of counseling go very wrong? I'm sure you have. Uh, I saw it because what I noticed people who need to go to counseling and they don't, if they're introverts, they tend to become more isolated, right? Cause they, they don't, they, their whole world, they don't want to share. If they're extroverted, they tend to use every random person as their counselor. And I actually went to a student event and it was called uh, one night. Some of you youth pastors are familiar with those where you invite your one friend. So it was this big all call to the community and it was their first one. And the youth pastor got up there with his wife and told all the kids about his porn addiction, about how he had this big affair on his wife. And like when it's done, the only thing they remembered was the fact this youth pastor had did all these things. Whereas there, there is a time to be vulnerable, but what happens is it became group therapy. And I felt after that, he did start going to counseling, which helped, but because that's kind of a red flag that you need to go. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I've seen it, the avoidance of it equally be as harmful. I, I, um, I think most churches, they don't have any benefits package. <laughs> the only benefits package you get is, uh, you know the the whatever the tax, you know things for the from, from the government for being clergy. So with that being said, the one benefit that I think churches could more than likely afford, if you can find it, is offering counseling when needed, um, and not just like pastoral counseling, like meeting with a senior pastor or meeting with another pastor, but like actual like licensed counseling through a an actual licensed counselor I, yeah i assume I that's what this right. person meant with that question right oh that's for sure what he meant um yeah yeah I, i'm and i, I think too like because he says leaking into the culture i think he means of the church yeah. and i would say the big a big part of that for me is like i said in my in my story is destigmatizing that as the culture of your if you're the senior pastor and you have yeah. staff under you sort of destigmatizing like if you have an issue that mm -hmm. needs counseling you're a pervert or you're, you know, like, no, we all have issues where a counselor would be really helpful. Yeah. And I think you as a senior pastor or the leader can take the lead in saying, look, there's no shame in saying, man, I can't handle this. That's kind of the point of the gospel. Yeah. Right. And so it's like a very important thing to say, oh, well, to, to not create a culture where everybody thinks, well, I'm, I'm above needing counsel. I mean, I'm healthy enough that I don't need to go to a counselor. That's like you're asking for a major blow up because you have this stigma of like, we don't need counseling around here because we're healthy instead of being a person who says a healthy person is one who can go, Oh man, I'm, I'm really getting out of control here and I can't handle this. I better go talk to a counselor before it turns into I'm screaming at kids in the hallway or whatever, uh, at my church. Right. Yeah, that's good. Um, let's, let's go to the next question. Um, he, this po this post was also posted anonymously, and they even they even wrote that the reason why they're posting this anonymously is because they're praying about a transition and curious of how um, we've handled the process in the past. So we've talked about this before in in, in different episodes, but uh, so it should be pretty quick. But when do you let the leaders and authority over you at your current church know, 
outside of your spouse, who knows about the possibility first? And what are some questions to ask when interviewing for a senior pastor position? So, you know, Jeff and Calito, you two are the only senior pastors here. Uh, that's the Del. same person. Oh, I said you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Andrew's middle name is James and it's throwing me off. All right. So Andrew and Jeff, you two are the only senior pastors here. So you guys can answer the third question. But um, I, I, I'll take the first question. Tell me what you think about this. When do you let your leaders and authority know? Uh, hold on a second. Timothy Miller in the house. My friends. Welcome. My friends, I've missed you. Hold so on. sorry I'm, I'm late. Gonna, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this. <laughs> wow. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> All right, that's it. <laughs> uh, Tim, well, we're, you're here just in time. We're answering the second question. Um, so I, I'm going to answer the first question of the second question. Um, that very much depends on how you view or how you see the culture of your church. Because I know, me, unfortunately, many people who've even said, hey, I'm considering, like, leaving. I just, But, like, I have no prospects right now. I'm just – I just wanted to have, like, transparency and I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard of pastors saying, "Turn in your laptop." You know, we're not. You, you're, yeah. you're going to get paid for two weeks, maybe even a month, but like you're done, and um, we'll celebrate you on Sunday. Like I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that story before, where it doesn't go well. So it really depends on like the culture. Where like, have you seen like other people uh, transition well? Where like they they've mentioned it to the senior pastor and the senior pastor or whoever's in charge, executive pastor elder board said like oh yeah you know we're here to support you you know i know i know in some cases i've seen churches where they're like once they hear about that they'll start saying like well what can we do to keep you like do you need a pay bump do you what, what do you want you know but uh but would you guys agree with that sentiment because i mean like um I, I ideally in a perfect church world you would tell them before you even start sending out your resume so that way there's like a good long process of thinking about this transition, but man, I haven't seen it done well a ton. This is where the, this is where we really live in a, this is one of the times when it's very evident that it's just different to be a vocational pastor at a church because any other church member, right. Could come to the pastor and say, Hey, I'm thinking about quitting my job and moving across the country, or I feel called to this or that. And it would be accepted with warm, welcoming, Let's talk together. Let's walk through this. Let's take our time. But there's just something about the fact that there is this in in a lot of church cultures that I've been a part of. There's there there can't or that I've been around or heard of. There there can be like a weird a weird misuse of the idea of like loyalty, where if you even think about moving on, it means you're not loyal to us, and you might as well just leave now. And so that creates a culture where. This guy, you know, or, or girl, whoever this is, feels like they can't they, – they're actually not the same as an, any other church member. They can't come and actually get the kind of counseling that they probably preach about and talk about. You want to live in community, and you want to hear advice from other – and you want to, you know, get the church in on it. So you get your circle of friends in on it. But when it comes to them, they feel like they can't do it because if they come and say, hey, I'm thinking about leaving – People in the church, especially sometimes in leadership culture, can feel like they're betraying them. And it turns into this, like, weird—I I remember sitting down in it during a transition I was a part of, 
and the new senior pastor came in, and this was a major red flag for me. And I'm like thankful that I'm not there now. And he said, the most important thing to me is that you're loyal to me. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to be here for long. Because the most important thing is that I'm loyal to the, you know, to Jesus. That's it. Uh, and if that happens to be with you, great. And I, I you know, and I'm going to support you. And, but like, it, it was just, that's like a major, major red flag. So to me, this is an issue of like, number one, if if you're a if you're in a second chair, you're a campus pastor or something like that, and you have a senior pastor you're you're thinking about talking to, I mean I, I hate to say it, but I mean senior pat we're insecure too, so sometimes it's our insecurity coming out, and us do, playing this game in our head of like they're going to leave and take a bunch of people, they're trying to undermine me, blah blah blah, and that probably isn't true. You may just be feeling called to something else. Like I, at, at the same church I was talking about in Orlando. Uh, and again, props to this pastor. I had this conversation with him when I had no prospects on it because I was starting to think maybe I'm not maybe I'm not going to be a worship pastor forever. And he took me out to lunch and just said, well, what do you what are your dreams? What what are you thinking? And when I shared it with him, his response was to give me more opportunity to preach and to see what happened. And so, you know, kudos to him for that. I mean, that's hopefully the way I would treat it if I was the senior pastor in that situation. I think when you are in a smaller church and you're the senior pastor and you start talking about moving on, I don't know what to say other than, man, you really got to be careful and you really got to know your church culture because you, if you've got a couple of like deacons or elders that can that turn on you quick, it can really go it can really go bad. Um, so, you know, I hate to be so jaded and cynical about it, but I feel like that's just kind of part of the kind of the part of the world we live in as vocational. Um, ministry leaders and pastors. And I think it's also important, whoever asks this question, or if you find yourself there, you have to remember the tact by which you communicate this because it is very critical. Because the fact you even bring up the prospect of leaving, that is, unless they want you to leave, that's a threat. You know, like whether you want it to be or not, whether you're being genuine and trying to be caring and loving, it's perceived as, man, the ship's sailing. We're all manning the different places. If you're doing good, they don't necessarily want you to leave. So on one hand, be encouraged, right? But on the second hand, the way you communicate that's so important. So like, if you want to have that conversation, I wouldn't advise to say, Hey, I'm leaving in four months. You just need to know that here it is. I've already put my resume out other places because that's communicating a lot of cold callousness. Like I left you out of the process, right? Like I left you out, which is, which is if your pastor is your pastor, if that's your culture, you don't have to leave him out of that process. The only way he's not, he's out of the process. If he's more like your manager, right. Or your, you know, so I think the way you communicate that is really important. But if you do foresee it coming, I would tend to side with you guys. Letting people in on that is important, but just making sure you consider your culture and your personal tact whenever you're doing that. Cause either one of those things can derail that whole conversation. Yeah. I think there's a couple things at play here. Um, I, I don't even know how long you've been in your, in your current ministry position. I know for me, when I interviewed at Lakeview initially, for the the role of, of student pastor in my interview i said i believe it takes at minimum five years to build a healthy youth ministry 
So in my interview, I basically committed to Lakeview for five years. And when that five-year mark was up, so that was 2010. So in 2015, that was really the first year I even considered what it would be like outside of Lakeview Church. And when a, a church reached out to me, and I, had, I didn't reach out to them. There was just a connection there. I, I did immediately go to my senior pastor, but I had five years of relationship capital built up with him. And I, that's not going to be the case at in every position. And I understand that. But if you do have the relationship capital built up, you, you should be able to go to your supervisor or, or to the senior pastor and, and let them in on that. It, it ended up being a really sweet process for me because he was very honest with me. You know, Tim, why are you leaving? Well, we, we had had three kids, one on, one on the way soon. And and honestly, we, we were struggling as a family. We were on food stamps at the time. And my senior pastor didn't even know we were on food stamps. So he ended up going to the, the elder board and was able to give me a pretty nice raise. And that did actually keep me at Lakeview. And it wasn't all about the money, but you know, my family did have to eat at that time. So by bringing the senior pastor in early on that conversation, it was actually of great benefit to me. And I wish I could say that's how it is for everyone at every time, but I get that it's not. So I think really the moral of the story is, is the relationship capital built up there? How, how long have you been in that position that you're currently in? And who else already knows? Who have you already brought in? I, I probably brought in Andrew before I brought in anyone because Andrew's one of my closest ministry friends in the world. Before your but, wife? I mean, it was probably Andrew and my wife simultaneously. Oh, I did bring in my wife first, but outside of my immediate, <laughs> my immediate family, my wife and my dad, it was probably, you know, who, who in ministry is nearby that can be praying for me. And that, that was actually probably before I even went to anyone in my own church, but it's like you guys said, it's so delicate. It's so tricky. It, it rarely goes the way you want it to go. So it's going to require definitely some, some wisdoms and discernment and quite a few questions to ask. I was blessed and the situation was unique when I was leaving my previous church because my senior pastor was also retiring and our denomination had the rule that the associate pastor could not become the senior pastor and so I was in a lot of ways kind of assuming the, the role of the senior pastor for an interim process and it wasn't going to be healthy for anybody for me to stick around and try to move back to the number two chair afterwards but even before that he said that you know some churches were teaching hospitals and that not every church could afford to have a, you know, 50 year old youth pastor making $75,000 a year. And so, um, he thought part of his role was to be that of a teacher. And I have, you know, taken that and tried to emulate that Dylan, our former youth guy here. Um, I, I wrote his resume when he was graduating from college and was starting to look for full-time ministry positions, because I think, I think what, uh, when we're talking about the culture of the church, the church also has to know itself. If you are a church of 200 people, you might not be able to make a global impact the way that a church of 5,000 people can make. But what you can do is you can train up people that you're sending out to do different roles. And I think a church recognizing that, hey, I get to play a part in this pastor's story is a huge, huge thing of what we get to do as leaders in smaller churches. And so I'm um, kind of echoing what Tim said. I, When I started to you know talk about coming up here— um, I would not have ended up at this church if it was not for Tim or Tim's former senior pastor, Peyton, because they were both part of this denomination and knew this church, and I didn't know them. 
And then my former senior pastor was my number one reference to this church because some of our elders here had known him for 30 years. So that was a really neat thing. But in our bylaws here at the church, we have, you know, a uh, something that, you know, pastors are expected to give a, at least a six-week notice. Um, and so I would say know, know the church culture, know the relationships that you have, but also know the bylaws so that you don't show up and say, hey, pack up your office and have your laptop turned in by the end of the day because nobody wants to go through that. But be open. Have conversations. I don't think anybody is hiring someone to a second or third chair and expecting them to stay in that role for forever. So it is as much the leader's responsibility to know the people that work under him or her as it is their responsibility to communicate to their direct report what they're hoping to gain from that position. So be be open, be honest, and don't be and, and don't surprise somebody. I the, the statement about the senior pastor saying, you know, be loyal to me, I get that. I I would edit that if I were were him, certainly, and I would say just don't surprise me. If if yeah. you are going to leave, I want to know that it's coming way before the resume. And I get sometimes a church is going to email you and say, hey, we've been listening to some of your sermons online. Someone recommended you. Are you interested? That's one thing. But if you're starting to discern, hey, God is leading me this way, I don't ever want to be surprised by, oh, by the way, last week when I was on vacation, I was actually preaching at such and such a church. And I'm out of here next week. Don't yeah, ever don't do, do that, that to me. Don't, don't, don't surprise me, and I will not hold you back. That is the agreement that I would have with anybody who is serving under me. I'm going to support you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to do my best to equip you for whatever roles God has in your future. But don't, don't let it be a surprise to me that God has called you to do something different than what you're doing right now. Can you guys um, speak into his last question um, about like like maybe each of you give one or two questions that you think would be good if you're when you were applying for the senior pastor position? So I'm guessing this guy is in some sort of number two chair. How uh, what kind of questions should he be asking uh, for a senior pastor position? Will I get fired if I decide to pursue other things? <laughs> what do you mean by other things? Like no, I'm just saying like you know the this very question like. Let's say I'm the senior pastor here for five years and I start to discern a call somewhere else. How would you guys want me to handle that? That might be a good thing to ask in your initial uh, conversation. Um, and if that goes really poorly, you might have just kind of uncovered the church culture and maybe you want to be part of it. Maybe you don't. Uh, so that could be that could be part of it. I would have very clear conversations about salaries and expectations, though. When I like got dollar hired, amounts. I did not... I, I did not ask any financial questions. Like they presented me with a salary package that was fair, but in my naivety, I did not ask a single financial question about the church's finances. And so six months in, I was like, oh, my salary was like gifted to the church to bring somebody in. And in six months, uh, if uh, that's not built into the budget, um, okay. So that was kind of a sneaky surprise. And by the grace of God, you know, I've never missed a paycheck here, but that was something I did not ask about the church's financial health. I asked the spiritual questions and the, you know, what potential is there for growth? What potential is there to meet new families? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? But I did not ask a single question about, hey, can the church pay its bills? And I should have asked that question. And by the grace of God, we can pay our bills now. Huzzah. 
That's really good. I I, uh, I agree with what you guys have said. I also, in, in all the interviews I've done, most of them have been with Lakeview, actually, for multiple positions. Um, I've fallen back on uh, Doug Fields, your first two years in youth ministry. There's a, there's a chapter in there where it's just questions to ask during an interview. And I found those questions very helpful, even when I interviewed for the senior pastor position as well. Because a lot of them revolved around expectations, not just for me, but also for my family. So I was very clear in interviewing with Lakeview that um, it's Tim Miller that's interviewing. It's not Stephanie Miller. So the expectations for my wife, expectations on my kids, anything unnecessary. I, I was very upfront and clear with those types of questions in regards to how to protect my family and knowing that the church was hiring me, not necessarily hiring my wife and kids as well. Tim, would you agree with this? I think one way to ask those questions, if it's like, if you ask, are there any expectations on my wife? And of course they're going to say, Oh no, 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 no. And maybe a follow up to that is to say, what's going to happen if my wife doesn't do a, B or C. That's exactly right. You're right, Jeff. Because as soon as you say now, What's expected of my wife? They're, they're oh, going to respond no, nothing. with nothing. We have no expectations. But yeah. that follow-up with if my wife does not do that, yeah, that's that's a really good point to yeah, make. Yeah, I'm, I'm at it because what might get revealed is, oh, well, I mean, why wouldn't she want to run children's ministry? And, exactly. Or, you know, I mean, the old one is play piano or whatever. But to, f- to figure out a way to ask the question of, like, what are the, what are the unspoken pressures and expectations that you're going to put on my wife just because she's my wife. Um, even though you're just paying for me, you're not paying for her. Right. I, uh, the, the other big one that the other big one was sacred cows. I was, I asked this one as well. What, what sacred cows exist in the church right now that I need to know about? What are some things that I know? Hey, in my first year, my first two years as senior pastor, should I just not touch? And if, if your elders or whoever's interviewing have been with the church a while, they're going to know those things pretty much right off the bat. And that's good to know. My first church I interviewed at, I, after I got finished interviewing, I had reached out to a congregant who had been here like 20 years. And I said, Hey, can, uh, can I come to your house and have, just hang out? And we sat on his back porch and he was a flint napper and he made me an arrowhead (laughs) and he gave me the, his 20 year history of the church. And that was a really good opportunity for me just to see, you know, what kind of church this was. The church that I just left, um, I spoke with the youth pastor prior to me going there. So I know a little bit about what I was going into. And uh, the church I'm at now, I had I knew quite a bit of the uh, several of the congregants. So my, my best hack that I could figure out is like find a congregant. Find someone connected to that church because you're thinking about becoming a part of that church's story. You know, Find someone and, who knows where the bodies are buried. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to put it that way, but I mean, because no church is perfect, you know, because everybody's going to have some stuff. So if the worst thing they could say is, "Well, man, we got in a fight because of," and they name something kind of minuscule, you're like, "Well, I've seen a lot worse stuff in church." You know, to me, I if, if when a pastor says you your loyalty is demanded. That's like one of the biggest red flags, because if you have to demand loyalty, you're probably not someone worth following, you know? So like, I think listen for those cues. And when you're interviewing, ask questions where 
you want the answer, but you don't want just want the answer. You want to know like why they answered that the way they answered it, you know? So, um, I know one time I interviewed at a church and we had three different interviews in every interview. They asked me the same question. What was my favorite book? And I found out on the other side of it, the reason they did that, I don't know if how, you may think this is right or wrong. They said they did that on purpose because they wanted to see if I had a short fuse and they wanted to see if I would correct them and if that I would do leadership. Um, that was what that they told me. That feels whack. That feels a little yeah. whack. But, yeah, uh, well, that's... Delmar, well, some... did you say Flint Snapper? Flint Napper. Flint Napper. That's a person that makes arrowheads? So napping yes. is equivalent to whittling for wood. Except it's yes. rocks. Right. Yeah. And it's, it is so cool because he, he's like, you see that striation in the rock? If I hit it this way with this rock, it will break off at that angle. Mm. It was wow. fantastic. Anyway. Skills. Interesting. All right. Last last question. I This is actually not from our Facebook group. This is from another Facebook group uh, for pastors. And uh, I thought it was an interesting question. Um, it, this kind of goes to our conversation we had a while back about having a high view of membership, because this can only this, this question only happens if you have a high view of membership and actually practice some form of church discipline. So I'd be interested to hear what you how, how you guys would answer this. So here's the question: A female church member is unfaithful to her husband and commits an act of adultery. The church leadership pursues her for repentance and restoration, and in the process, she she decides to remove herself from the situation and withdraw her membership. Upon presenting her name to the congregation for removal as requested, the pastor notes to the congregation that there has been a sin issue for which they were pursuing this woman and that she would need to display fruits of repentance in order to be restored as a member in the future. This is recorded in the church minutes. The lady continues to attend sporadically a few years later, the, the pastor leaves the church, a new pastor comes in, and the lady continues to attend and eventually becomes more frequent in attendance. The new pastor is aware of the situation, having talked to the, with the predecessor, and tries to faithfully minister to this lady as he would have with anyone else. Um, the second pastor eventually leaves the church, and an interim comes in. The lady resubmits herself for membership. The deacons, who have apparently forgotten the things written in the church minutes, joyfully present her to the congregation. Everyone happily accepts her without any mention of the reason why she was originally removed or acknowledgement of repentance. Now you come to you come in as the next senior pastor and find the notes written in the official church minutes in the past regarding her removal and conditions for reacceptance. And the fact that this lady has been accepted again as a member without considering them. What, if anything, do you do as the incoming senior pastor? Nothing. Absolutely First of all, I, I institute nothing. elders. I institute elders and stop letting deacons in decide membership. This sounds like a Baptist thing. This is like a. This sounds like ba Southern Baptist because they have deacons running the yeah. show here. Yeah. But um, but uh, <laughs> Andrew, why, why do you say unless nothing? you're going unless you're going to reevaluate. Everybody on your yeah. church role, and uh, uh, granted, maybe in my church culture, like I'm used to. Okay, if you're the third senior pastor and there's an interim, it's been at least ten or twelve years. Maybe it's been six months for these people. I don't know. If they're taking that diligent of minutes, I, I have no answer for you. But unless you're going to reevaluate every member in your church, you, 
she's already been accepted. If you were there when she was accepted, you could have been like, oh, okay, wait a second, there's this. But you can't undo what's been done. And so if you're going to go back and reevaluate her membership status, you better go back and check the browser history of every member of the church. You better go back and, you know, make sure that nobody's been divorced and remarried that didn't have your blessing. It's silliness. And maybe this is why church membership at some level becomes problematic for people. But I, I can't imagine you would win any favor with God or man by going in there and doing anything about this. Well, okay, so let's assume, Andrew, it's five years per pastorate, right? And you've had two of them. You're telling me you're for one of the first things you're doing as a new senior pastor is reading minutes from 10 years ago? I mean, I don't... I don't know how uh, you this would is, even. This is not. This is not our Facebook group, so we can say whatever we want. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Hey, what in the world? I'm in this Facebook group, so be careful. I know, <laughs> no, 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 but no, you're no, not. No, I'm just but you. But this is not. This is not one of our listeners yeah, most yeah, yeah, likely. Yeah, yeah. It's not. I don't think so. This is. My yeah, answer that, to this is, question is: I don't believe this happened. No, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> stop. stop. <laughs> I don't think the guy who posted this is the senior pastor. I think he's. He's actually talking about this for another senior pastor he knows. I'm assuming. A friend of mine goes to this church where, well, this one time this lady had an affair. This is a very specific hypothetical. It's so specific. It sounds to me like the new pastor was there and someone said, hey, did you know this? And handed him the minute. That's what this sounds like. At which point, as the new pastor, I would say, yeah, I I had no idea. I, I I had no idea. I'll, I'll, I'll chat with I'll chat with with my elders about this, and most likely the elders are going to come back and say, "Yeah, that that was so long ago. <laughs> There's no way we can like retroactively remove her membership now unless we do everything that Andrew just said we have to do yeah. as well." And if she has been attending the church sporadically and then regularly and then asking to become a member again, knowing that her membership had been removed from that church, that has that is some sign of repentance. In and of itself, right? Just just showing Agreed. your face in a church where they've said, "Hey, unless you acknowledge that you're a homewrecker or whatever, you shouldn't be here." Yeah. The fact that she's showing up is a sign of repentance to me. Well, it could be a sign of repentance or just very, very low emotional intelligence. It it could be. It's either very. It's either. I think it's or a polarizing one thing. In that county. It <laughs> yeah. Might just be one, it might be the only option. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You might be right. I mean, I, I'm I'm reading I'm reading some of the comments of um, uh, the comments of the post. Um, here's a fun fact: the start ex, naming the legalists. The ex, <laughs> no, no, no. The ex-husband that they that's separated still attends the church too. Um, so that's an interesting uh, uh, thing. I so someone. So if it's a Baptist, some church, of the comments said something when she was presented for membership. Some of the comments are really funny. Someone said, not your problem. <laughs> I love it. Um, I mean, my, my pastor is like, like, you're right, Jeff. Like, without knowing the true length of time for each pastorate, like, in my mind, this could have been 15 years ago or 10 years ago. You know what I'm saying? And if that's the case, I would come in and simply just treat this woman like a woman who has gone through a divorce and not like a woman who is under church discipline because I'm, and I, I don't know, I, I feel like, and I'm trying to be careful because I understand that um, my church's view on membership may be clouding my judgment on how I would handle this. Dunbar, I'm actually interested in hearing from like 
what you what your churches would do because you actually were in a Southern Baptist church, which I think have a higher view of membership than maybe we do. Um, uh, the, the my current church has a, a higher view of membership in the sense of like covenant relationship. Sure. So I our elders are very proactive, and I think there would be a conversation that would I think. A conversation is not a bad thing, right? Because what that does is it at least identifies, hey, we're all on the same page with this. If if she got back in and she's a member, okay. Um, but uh, you know, in in other churches I've been a part of, member like the membership was high, but there wasn't a high view of membership. Does that make sense? So, like to to me, I find the higher, the more church genuinely does life with each other, and they hold a ecclesiological, you know, position on high view membership. I think that it does, it makes it harder just to look over it. And I think that's okay, right? Like it's because we should, we are called to at least be observing things. Now to Jeff's point, to Frank's point, to Andrew's point, we also need to practice uh, the same grace that we've been given. So, so that's why I think conversations are important. Conversation is more important than legislation sometimes when it comes to these specific instances. Okay, now let me let me play uh, um, bad church member advocate. Do it. Uh, I was going to say it. devil's advocate, but Frank always says the devil doesn't need an advocate. Um, Facts. <laughs> let's say it's a it's a smallish church, maybe two hundred or less, right? And this is causing a huge issue in the church. So now that's a different thing, right? If this is a 10, 15 years later and people don't remember, no big deal. But it could be that it's 10 years later and it's still causing all kinds of drama. People feel hurt by leadership. That that might be a different that might be a different issue. If this person has I mean, I know it says that the 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 second pastor tried to minister to her and she still kind of refused, but she became more frequent in attend. I mean, there's a lot of details left out here, but it could be that this is creating an issue where um, there was a lot of trust lost in leadership because uh, maybe it, it was viewed that it wasn't dealt with, or maybe the other side of it is that people viewed it was dealt too harshly. Uh, she shouldn't have been removed from membership. So if that's the case and you step into something like this, and like Tim said, someone says, hey, do you know why there's all this tension in the church? Well, here, check out these minutes. Mm-hmm. This is why then, yeah, you may need to step in and do some pastoral work. But, uh, you know, all I would say to that is, like, that's what you signed up for, right? You didn't just but sign re- up to remember, be remember, in the note that we were given, they specifically said um, everyone happily accepts her. So mm-hmm. right. I would – in, in that tradition, when she's presented – yes, that's right. Okay. So then everyone has a chance to then say it's kind of like what we like what we do with deacons. We actually give everyone about a month long process. Boo. Hey, if, if, like if there's any woman. issues, yeah, let us know. We're going to be presenting. <laughs> it's kind of the same deal. They they had a chance to speak up and they didn't. Yeah, so. you're right. So, do you guys my whole my whole point is out the window. Do you guys all <laughs> present uh new members to the to your church like at, after a membership class? Mhm. Do you have like a formal presentation? Mm-hmm. We do. We actually they they get passed on to our elders, and then our elders take a small sample of each of the new membership class, reach out to them, contact them, contact them, put them through a small interview process. Then at our next elder meeting, uh, we formally vote as elders on the new members, and then the following Sunday we have the new members come up and we present them to the congregation. The congregation does not vote; 
the the elders are the ones who do the voting. Sure. The congregation happily accepts them. What? After we've That's not democratic, them. Tim. We should all have a vote. Now, have you ever? Well, they voted on the elders, so oh, they they put the elders in, so they gave us the permission. So, no, just to be clear, Tim. So let's say twenty people. How many elders you got? Uh, six. Okay, so twenty people come to your class. Each elder mm-hmm. takes a few. Is that each what elder saying? would each elder would take four okay. or five depending right. on the class, and then all ask the same questions. And then if there's any issues, and these last two uh, membership classes, we have had issues where we not everyone got voted in. Now that's that, the first time this has ever happened. This is why I asked that question. That that takes a certain culture of trust between the elders mm-hmm. to oh, yeah. trust each other. That hey, you're doing the interview with them. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to ask the same questions I would ask and make the same kind of decision I would make. So they all that's that's really great that your elders trust each other to do those separately. So typically what will happen if there's a question or, you know, a red flag, one of the elders will shoot an email. Hey, I, I did learn this. Just want to make sure we're all in agreement here that they're probably not going to be moving forward with membership. And then we're all like, yep, that, that's right. And how long if, if you say no to somebody, typically how long before you allow them to go through the process again? Well, this is relatively new. And unfortunately, the two people that we have said no to immediately left the church and didn't okay, come yeah. back. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I mean, you kind of assume that would happen. Right. Honestly, it was just a, guys, just get married yeah, <laughs> like yeah. on both, um, on both cases. Like they were, and they were, they were like, we know we're living in sin. And I was like, okay. Like they even said that to us. So it wasn't like this big secret. They weren't right. like saying, this is not sin. They were saying we are, we know we're living in sin. And you're going to hold us accountable. How Whoa. dare you? But you, how, like, what you, a beautiful did you, thing. Did you, that... did you sit through membership? Did you listen in membership class? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I we love that. We're serious. I love that even in the front half of your membership, and our church is very similar. If you join Harmony, you have to meet with an elder and you have to share your testimony. And they're listening to see, is this, I said a prayer one time at church camp. Was it like, do you know what you believe? You don't have to be a scholar, but, and if not, we'll have that conversation. But what I love about what you did is when they're doing that, your people know on the front end, just because the way your questions are wired, that church discipline is wired into our DNA. So that will will push people away who would not be willing to submit to that. I think that's brilliant, and I think that is one of the best ways to close the back door in the church is by making sure your front door is right, you know, that you have your your policies and who you are accurately up front. So like, honestly, man, commend your elders for, for asking the hard question and sticking by it. It would have been really easy for you to be like, okay, well, we'll just meet. Well, you can join, but we'll do counseling together and use that as a patch. But you said, no, here's the rule. Here's the line. I respect mm-hmm. that. Um, so I get the presentation side. The other side of that question is, have any of you guys had a church member do something that disqualified them from membership or you're disciplining them or whatever, and then presented that to the congregation? Yes. So it was a member. I, I went to a Presbyterian church in high school and a PC, it was a PCA church. And one day at the end of church, I mean, I had, I grew up Southern Baptist, went there for three or four years they it was the bigger presbyterian church in town they said hey we have to have a conversation right now that's only for members and i'm like what and they were they were very gracious about it but they asked everybody to leave it was on a sunday morning i'll be honest it was like awkward silence when your teacher asked you to stay behind in class but I, how do you make it not awkward 
And this woman went up there and con- she was in her late 30s, early fo- early 40s. She confessed to having an affair. And she confessed that she was pregnant with another man's child. And she submitted herself to the body for church discipline. And I want to say she was even put on, I, I, don't, I don't know the technical term, but what happens when you're engaged in that process so there's direct elder oversight of you? And man, on the front end, I was like, this is nuts. But as I've grown older, I'm like, wow, that's the fact they could have that conversation and that she can do that. And her daughter was sitting on the front row, y'all. So the fact she can do that and that church still cared for her and had trust, but she was willing to go up there and take that step and say, I did wrong. I learned a lot just by watching this church do that. So that's the one time I'd seen it happen and it made me uneasy if I'm going to, but, but at the same time, it felt holy, you know, it felt holy. So we have had church discipline issues in the past, but our, our process for church discipline, which we're very clear about in membership class is first, if it's just you and another church member, you, you need to go to that church member. If you two can't resolve it, then you bring in an elder. And then once the elders are involved, and this is usually the final step, I've never seen it get past this step because typically when an elder gets involved and says, stop, you're, you're, you're living in open sin, they're either going to repent and, and we'll, we'll help them in that process, or they're just going to leave the church. That's as far as it's gotten in my history with Lakeview Church. I've never seen it get to the point where um, the person refuses to repent, and then we have to then, which technically, according to our church bylaws, the person would then be brought before the congregation at one of our congregational meetings. I've never seen it happen, just because typically it, the person either repents or leaves before it ever gets to that that spot. I, I, I was at a church where someone, um, you know, it was another affair because, of course, it was. And um, so you, the person said, fine, withdraw my membership. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. But their best friend was a member of the church, and their best friend was told, no, 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 you cannot talk with them. Like, you need to cut off all contact with them. Um, and I'll, not only um, – it, their best friend was on staff, and the staff member was basically told, you cannot keep your job and maintain this friendship simultaneously because this person is an unrepentant sinner and by you not cutting them off as a friend. And so I was like, whoa, whoa. You know, it's, it, it's, that sounds like Scientology. It, well, but yeah, it's, dude, I was going to say that's cult stuff. Yeah. And it's also like, man, the, the new Testament church was different because they were a culture unto themselves. You couldn't just leave, the church at Philippi and say, well, I'm going to go to second Baptist church of Philippi. There was one church in town and that was it. And so, um, you know, th- this was not the situation here. And so the original sinner came and, you know, confessed their sin in front of the elders so that their friendship could be reinstated with their bestie who they were in contact with the whole time. And it's, you know, it's pretty crazy when your best friend is going to lose their job because you had an affair. So that's a part of like church membership and some 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 traditions that kind of skews me out. Where it's like, um, 
Like I like I wholeheartedly believe in the purpose of excommunication for the purpose of lead, that should lead them to repentance. But when you are when you're putting places of like like because I know the Bible says to treat him like an unbeliever or, or treat what, is it treat him like an unbeliever or is it treat like, him a like, gentile, like, like a gentile like a gentile or something. But like to tell someone that their job is at stake if they have communications with them because like. The reality is, is how many people at a church right now have friendships with unrepentant sinners? Like, we like in general, like who do, who don't go to our church? Like, is it just that the 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 offense is against the church or within the church, and therefore that's why the relationship? I don't know. That's like these are like the the hypothetical scenarios, which is not so hypothetical apparently, that need to be discussed because like in, in that situation, if a person walks away from membership, like what can you do? Uh, if, a, if a person walks out, like it is what it is. Mem- church discipline only functions well within the covenant relationship of a church member and its church. Um, and so, so I, I, I've heard of other churches do the thing where, like, like, like the the who's the nine marks guy? Mark what? Mark Dever. Mark Dever. He wrote a book about. He wrote a book I was reading about membership, and he talked about how if they place anyone under discipline. They bring it up in the the next sermon, and not the next sermon, but the next like time the church gathers. Um, and I just thought to myself, like, one, how often are you doing that? Like, is that like every week? <laughs> like, because I'm guessing with their high, there's such a high. Good view morning, of everybody. Hey, we've got a potluck <laughs> next uh, Sunday. So if your name, if your last name starts with a speaking of a pot, we L. found Andrew smoking pot. So <laughs> be, sermon be illustration for him. And shun his family until he <laughs> confesses. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it's a bit. It's a bit more organized. Than that. But that, like, uh, like wasn't um, there a situation at the village with that a few years ago? Like there was a woman who was brought under church discipline, yeah. and she was like, "Nah, just pull my membership." And they're like, "No, you can't. You have to be a member in good standing to have your membership pulled." Because okay, um, it, <laughs> oh wow, I, I, it, it was a whole thing where someone was like, you know, under someone was under discipline. And so because they were under discipline, they, you know, did not have the right to, like, you know, have their membership yeah. withdrawn without uh, – am I, am I remembering that right? Is that I thing believe that so, yeah. And I think they came back and, like, changed their tone on that. Is that the missionary yeah, story? It, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, I hear yeah. what you're talking about. And they did – I think they did came back and be like – Yeah, that was, look, that was our rough. bad. We were taking <laughs> sure. the New Testament – we took the New Testament literally. We won't do it again. Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I, I'll say this. I'll say but this. And that's maybe this that's is, like it, what the shunning is. It's like you either shut – like the New Testament either says to do that or not to. It's a it's a messy thing. Churches are messy, people. I, I'll go back to the, the, the – I think this can go back to the point. When I think about church discipline, even like and, – and Tim, I'd be interested when you look at your bylaws of like when you've walked through that process and you said when you get to this point, it never goes past there. It's like – like I always tell people the church discipline passages isn't like a step one, step two, step three, step four. It's let's do step one. And if step one didn't work, let's go back and do step one again. And let's and, – until you're like pounding the wall and you can't go any further, that's when I think we should bring step two in. Yeah, and then like like let's keep having that conversation. Like I don't think it's like supposed to be such rigid, like the verses aren't supposed to be read so rigidly where it's like, all right, let's get to step four as quick as we can because get this guy kicked out of here, right? And so even the conversation I think in general of church discipline being ultimately all church discipline is for 
is to bring the people to repentance, right? It's to, it's to, it's a, it's, I would say church discipline is an extension of discipleship. Um, when people are, are in unrepentant sin, but like it's repentance, it's restoration, it's unity. Yeah. Well, that's the purpose of church discipline ultimately is for unity, right? To allow the Holy spirit to work. If we're using that as ammunition to see people off that we don't like anymore, then there is such a deep root of bitterness in your church that there is a mass repentance and all of you should be put on church discipline. Yeah. If people are like willy nilly with excommunication, that's, that's, that's a really bad thing too. Andrew, you said something, but Tim's voice is louder. What'd you say? I said, so you're saying that this is a discipleship issue. (laughs) It's always a discipleship issue, but Hey, um, these, these, man, this is, this is a good discussion. I'm just going to steal questions from Facebook every week. Um, uh, this was, uh, uh, I mean, we don't, th- this is a guy in a different group and, and this is third party conversation about someone else he knows, but, uh, hopefully, um, they figure it out. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Like, Oh, hopefully they figure it out. It's not, not our problem. Um, but Hey, uh, if you want to be a part of our problem, join our Facebook group. We want you in there. It's going to help you uh, give us more conversations. We're going to be able to uh, – you can bring your actual personal situations and, and have the over 850 people, pastors, in that group, the the Big Brain Trust, be able to share and talk with one another to be able to uh, to help you out. Also, follow us on Instagram. Uh, we posted uh, for Halloween last, last this, this past weekend um, – the, the costume packs of, of all five of us. And um, and my 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 pack, the campus pastor pack, got posted in a church communications group, and I got roasted. It was great. <laughs> they, were ro- <laughs> they were roasting the campus pastor idea, not necessarily me personally. But um, – and also, if you're here this long, I have to, have to, have to invite you to the Practical Pastoring Conference, February 20th to the 22nd. At Tim Miller's church, we need we not only we want you there, we need you there. All right. So if you've if you've listened to this far in the podcast, message me and I will give you a super special special uh, discount code that can't be found anywhere. Just find me on Instagram or Facebook under Frank Gill. And if I'll... you're a lady, make it a group uh, message. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah. Frank's not fired in a in a couple months. Sure, sure. That sounds great. He's gonna be let, put on leave until Advent. Let, let me until Advent. Let me make it to my sabbatical, guys. Well, I you don't want, want him to be. A, you don't want him to be on leave when the crowds are bigger. That wouldn't make any that's, sense. Yeah, so just on leave right. until Advent. I, I am, hey, pre- Tim. Are you gonna do a uh, uh, like how to do church discipline from the pulpit uh, seminar? At the conference because that'd be pretty fantastic, actually. Yeah, I'm already I'm already writing it. A couple of elders would be Great. helping me out. Can you bring a couple? We'll have, some, we'll have some live demonstrations. Yeah, yeah. we can do it like it. real cases. Yeah, yeah, we'll reenact it. It'll be awesome. Awesome, it's awesome. Well, uh, privatepastoringconference.com for more details. There, hit me up if you want a discount code. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And this is Practically Pastoring. See ya later peace thanks for listening get connected to other pastors by joining the practically pastoring facebook group where we get to share ideas and make each other better